This is MC Fireside Chat, a weekly show featuring conversations with thought leaders, entrepreneurs, and outdoor hospitality experts who share their insights to help your business succeed. Hosted by Brian Searle, the founder and CEO of Insider Perks, empowered by insights from Modern Campground, the most innovative news source in the industry. Welcome, everybody, to another episode of MC Fireside Chats. My name is Brian Searle with Insider Perks. Super excited to be back for our fourth week episode focused on the RV industry and outdoor recreation. We are missing a couple people this week who are our regular guests. They are down at Elkhart for something that apparently I wasn't important enough or Patrick or Mark or Eleanor wasn't important enough to be invited to, but we're here anyway with you guys talking about all kinds of different things related to the RV industry. So apologize for my like blown out background. I'm getting a new video camera, so I don't know there's scratches there, but Eleanor said my flowers are pretty. So just, if you can just watch those during the show instead of this, then you'll probably have a much better experience. I appreciate everybody being here. Uh, Eleanor, is there anything that's super important that you feel like that's we need to talk about before we get to introducing our special guests, talking a little bit with them. I just think from the dealer perspective right now, as you mentioned, some of our guests are away. We've got the big open house in Elkhart, Indiana, where the manufacturers are showcasing their 2024 models. I'll be really curious to hear from the industry board members about what, what the highlights are that they saw there. I know there's some new manufacturers that are coming out within the industry. So exciting to see what um, they bring forward and uh, new innovative products as well. It's okay. So probably know a little bit more on your next show in October. From our standpoint, we're gearing towards our convention in Vegas, which is at the beginning of November. So really excited about the speakers that we're going to be having there and the dealer education being presented on that as well. But I'll turn it over to your guests today because uh, it's always interesting to hear from the manufacturing and the van life, I guess. And I'm going to push back on you just for a second because I do want to actually briefly, Patrick, just briefly introduce yourself. Mark, briefly introduce yourself. And then I want to brief, I want to talk about this event in Elkhart while it's on our mind. And then we'll get back to you guys for a more in-depth conversation. So, Patrick Bonicelli with New Jersey Outdoor Adventures YouTube channel. It's a channel based on van life, people's own creations and ideas. And it really helps. It's, it's entertainment, but it also helps educate people what to expect. And it's a van life, some tips and tricks. And I have weekly episodes and a pretty big following, 345,000 subscribers. They're all excited to see what's next the van course. I've been in the water and RV business for over 30 years and the RV portion of the business for over 20 years. I get a good background RV industry. I actually work at an RV dealership and it's my nine to five. My YouTube is a hobby. Very cool. Glad to have you here, Patrick. Certainly looking forward to seeing what you cover and what you've been talking about for the last couple well, decades, right? Almost certainly a lot of instant support from there. Mark, do you want to introduce yourself just briefly? Sure. My name is Mark Harling. I'm the president of Bean Trailer. I'm also the president of Sterling ATM and Sterling ATM is the mothership for being trailer. It is a company that features brand enhancement for major U.S. banks. 
So I'm uh, compared to you guys, I'm a relatively newcomer in the RV industry. We've been doing this since about 2017 and we got into it because we couldn't find anything that we liked in the marketplace. And we have a lot of passionate outdoors people here. And in five years, we've become gone from page oblivion on Google to page one when it comes to off-road teardrop trailers. Now, just to clarify, when you say that we're newcomers, obviously you're like not referring to my, the way I look, right? Because we can clearly tell that I'm not a newcomer. Ring, right? Like gray hair, all that kind of, it's, all uh, it's crazy. No, we, we, we pride ourselves on not having known anything about the RB industry before we got into it in 2017. And I think that contributed a lot to our current success. It's interesting. I, I, I agree with our dealership first got into the RB business. We had no background and we took a completely different approach and quickly became one of the top selling Airstream dealers within two years. Awesome. Very cool. All right. I definitely want to get back to all that. Eleanor, before we forget, actually, before I talk to Eleanor, we need to thank our sponsor for the show, Access Parks. I need to briefly play a clip here for them, and then we'll get back to Eleanor, and I want to talk a little bit about what's going on in Indiana and Elkhart right now. Want to increase your revenues by up to 20%? Guests stay an average of two days longer when they stay connected. We are the only provider to guarantee the 25 megabits per second speeds that your guests demand at no upfront costs. And you'll be up and running in just six to eight weeks. With our fiber optic network serving 30 million annual visitors, you'll experience zero risk to deliver guaranteed speeds to your guests, even during peak hours. It's Wi-Fi that just works. Guaranteed broadband is here. Super grateful for Access Parks. They've been a longtime sponsor of us in this fourth week episode. So just if you are a campground or park owner, or really, I guess they would work for dealerships too. Eleanor, maybe? So, yeah. You know, certainly reach out to Access Parks and, and learn more about their product and what they have to offer. I do want to talk briefly about, again, we talked about Elkhart, right? For those of us, and maybe this is just me, right? I, I'm more in the campground RV park, outdoor hospitality industry than I am in the RV industry side of things. And so from a, from a standpoint of a lot of our audiences, campground owners who have never been to this open house or don't really know what it is or how it works, can you just dive into a little bit about how does this work? Like when you say they're showcasing their new 2024 models, have they already finalized these? In other words, are people just going there to see them and learn what they want to stock? Are they there to get feedback? Does Shane, for example, walk in and be like, oh my God, that's horrible. And then they drop and don't manufacture that model or... All that were. I might say that, but that's probably not the case. And I'm not sure they listened to Shane, but no. So what happens is that back in, in the day, historically, dealers would go to a show in November in Louisville, Kentucky, which was right around just after the American Thanksgiving. And that was really a buying show to stock their inventory for the upcoming year. But what we found is that was almost late uh, in terms of manufacturing product and just stocking products for some of the shows that were starting in January, especially in Canada, they start usually early in the new year. The manufacturers, and obviously it's the three big ones, Thor, Forest River, Nobago, they started moving, actually, I think it was Forest River that, that started the trend to have this open house where they would showcase their product, which is the new models. So they're already built. It's not, they may have some prototypes of, of things that they're working on for the future. But generally, it is their new line for 2024 that would have come out typically in August. So the dealers across North America 
would go to Elkhart and they're invited by their manufacturers and they would go and see what, what is available and what the trends are, what new products might be, but how floor plans or how some of the floor plans might have changed. There might be just updates in floor schemes because there's probably also updates in terms of materials that are being used or other colors. Um, and then just uh, layouts as well. So it's a great opportunity. It's the premier um, opportunity. At, there's a, there are a couple shows. I mean, there was recently the, the Hershey show, which is in Pennsylvania. Yep. I mentioned he was there. Uh, they do have industry days as well. Before the consumers come in, dealers uh, primarily on the East Coast would go to that. So they might not necessarily go to open house. But it's an opportunity for the manufacturers to showcase all of their products. It's a huge space, right? There's a lot of land there. Some of them are near the Hall of Fame. Some of them red fields. So there's an opportunity to see a lot of product. And then the suppliers as well. So those that supply products goes to the manufacturers as well as to the dealers. Uh, they have a supplier show now that's included with that as well. That's, that's housed inside the RV uh, manufactured housing Hall of Fame. Uh, so it's a really great opportunity for dealers to be able to pretty much talk to everybody that they, they purchase. And did I hear right, Patrick, you probably said that you, you, you went to the Hershey show. Yeah. I attended the Hershey show as a vendor for Airstream and Colonial Airstream. So we had a display with all new 2024 Airstreams and some new product launches. So I was there for the launch of Airstream Tradewind, the 25 travel trailer with uh, 800 amp hours, uh, lithium, 600 watts of solar, 3,200 watt inverter. So it was pretty exciting. Airstream introduced some new touring coach fans, Interstate SC and Interstate 19X. And it's the first time people got to see the Airstream Beast 20X REI edition. There was a lot of hype around the show for all the manufacturers because there was new models that were released. That it was first chance for the public really to get their hands on. And open house, historically, it's been where manufacturers release their half-year new floor plans and new decors. It'll be 2024 and a half models that will come out for to December, January, February timeframe. Being that the industry switches over usually in May. How do you feel the overall the percent of how the Hershey show went? I think it went extremely well. The first day, the Wednesday, that was open to the public. I, do, I believe the attendance was down quite a bit, a few hundred people. The attendance quickly picked up the second day of the show and so on. It was still a little bit down from last year. But last year's show was a little bit unique. Because dealers still didn't have inventory. There were still long lead times for a product. And this year now, dealers have full inventory, take trades. I think it was a little bit more exciting for people. They weren't ordering out of a catalog person. They were actually buying something that they could obtain and have instant gratification, pick it up in water. Please. All right. Tell us about your YouTube channel. Let's switch over to here. that Eleanor, I want to come back later. We'll talk about the RBA convention. New Jersey Outdoor Adventures YouTube channel started out as just mountain biking and our New Jersey outdoor stuff, history of New Jersey, abandoned places. And being that I have a background in the RV business, I'm the Airstream guy on YouTube. If you look on YouTube, most any Airstream on that gives all the tours for the dealers. So I always said like, it's not as much fun when I'm opening drawers and there's nothing in it, opening up an empty refrigerator. I'm buying a brand new model, telling you the right. features and benefits and what it has. And in my YouTube channel, I would bump into 
people while I was out biking and do all these activities that had RVs that had really cool setups. And I would ask them, hey, it was okay if you filled a tour. And uh, I would do these tours. This is almost 10 years ago of RVs. And, you know, there are people doing RV tours, YouTube, like me for Airstream, but not many people like giving a tour of their own personal space. So those re videos really took off. And that's where the channel made a right hand turn to. And that's what the content is today. Today, majority of the channel's focus is on people building their own vans and some of their ideas that come. We, I wouldn't think it is a, as a competition to the RV business. I just think it's a different expression of what compliment, they yeah. feel they need. And there's contrast between RV manufacturers, what they build, and what people build for themselves. They also feature a lot of local builders that are in Pennsylvania, New Jersey, and New York that are just started out in their garage. Now they got big shops. A few of them now are RBIA certified, so they're RB manufacturers. It's pretty exciting to see the growth just in our local market, just from people that I featured. It really gives them a platform to showcase what they've done. Have you featured Mark on the channel? Not yet, but I think I do another thing with Instagram for New Jersey Outdoor Adventures, and I do real remixes where people send in a reel that they want me to talk about. So I'll do a green screen. I'll talk about what's going on in the reel. So I think I've done a bean trailer once before. I get about a dozen a day of people say, oh, I want you to talk about this. And it's always based around camping or tiny house or something related to like outdoor activities. So I think I, I've done one. All right, let's talk about what bean trailer is for a second, and then we'll come back and talk more about the outdoor adventures and stuff like that. Mark, you want to introduce your company briefly? Yeah, we're out here in Utah and basically on the doorsteps of four hours in almost any direction. You have incredible outdoor activity. You have Moab, you have Southern Utah, you have the Tetons, Zion, you have Yellowstone. The list goes on and on. And those are the ones that people have heard of. More importantly, there's a million other ones. Every time somebody comes and picks up a bean trailer, whether they're from Nevada or Idaho or Arizona or Colorado, they tell me about places that they've been, I've never heard of, and they sound amazing. We're very close to basically a lifetime of outdoor activities. And Cindy and I, my wife, are mountain bikers, and we were looking for a small trailer didn't really find anything that really met our requirements. And so we, because I've got 30 years of design and manufacturing experience, came back and designed our own trailer and it quickly became a big hit. But it's basically a trailer that's all one piece fiberglass shell. And I know the emphasis of the RV industry and a lot of the things that you are promoting are actually camping and campgrounds and we've occasionally done that but more likely than not we're off grid so we try to the the, the whole tagline is being trailer can go where others can't and that so that, that that's a little bit of a different build for a trailer because you have to deal with a lot of off-road vibration and you have big ground clearance you have custom suspensions and you have basically construction that doesn't fall apart from low frequency and high frequency vibration. 
which is what you get when you're overlanding or off-road. But we're looking at your website right now, so I'll just go on down through to look at some of the models and stuff. Is there any in particular you want to dive into and just show off real quick? Or? Our most popular model is uh, the Black Bean, and that is by far our biggest seller. And ironically, our most expensive trailer, that's got the so base previous... model as a timbrant independent suspension, but the most popular is what we call the cloud suspension, which is actually an air suspension that has custom trailing arms, has a Fox reservoir shock, and the air suspension allows it to lower so that when you're on site, you have a good height for the galley. But when you start off-roading, it will actually rise four inches from its lowest position. So yeah, basically our trailers are a great galley and a great sleeping area. And store. Tell me, so tell me, tell me a little bit about this backstory, right? Like why your origin, like you talked about, you got into this, I think 2017, you said, right? Relatively new to the industry, trying to I assume solve a problem, right? So what problem did you see then that you have solved or are working towards solving that you didn't see the rest of the industry kind of tackling in your mind? Yeah. I, the first thing I did was is I bought a Sprinter van. I got excited about those. I decided that I was going to, I knew I could design one and build it. And I thought they were super cool looking. And so I, like many people, put their name on a list and waited and got my Sprinter book van. By, by the time I drove from the Mercedes dealership to my plant, I knew that this wasn't going to be a good match for me. I, I could tell that. The van, creative people. We were just at a van show in Reno, and those vans are incredible. And if you're a do-yourselfer, like Patrick was saying, that it gives you an opportunity to really put incredible creative touches on that. But in my mind, a, a van was basically from the ground up by by design, meant for utility and cargo. It was designed for workmen and people who are delivering packages. And so you can make them pretty cool, but there are some compromises that are baked into the inherent design. And so then I saw a small trailer. I saw a little tap trailer, trailer made, I think in Elkhart, Indiana. And I saw that and I fell in love with that. And I did a bunch of research on the internet and saw that it was built by the Amish. And I thought, man, if it's built by the Amish, and it's probably got a high level of refinement. And so I went to a dealership here locally and saw one. And the, the thing that immediately struck me was that the ergonomics were not right for me. I've been a, a in creating environments with my human factors background for 25, 30 years. And the space seemed a little cramped to me. And I could tell by the way that it was built, that it was built mostly to be used on road with a little bit of uh, gravel road. And so I knew it wouldn't survive the places I wanted to take it. So I wanted something with more room and I wanted something that could go where you couldn't take a van or you couldn't take a, other trailers. And that's when we started designing being trailer. Okay. Makes sense to me. 
Anything else you want to add to talk about? Let me the hope. Where are you where are you headed in the where are you headed in the future? Like where do you want to take Bean Trailer? Obviously, you've got these great products. They've been fairly successful already. Is there something that you're looking to develop that maybe you can share with us? If it's a secret, you can just say no. I can't talk about it. But where are you? Where you want to go? Maybe in the next five six years. Is there something that you've got your eye on that you'd like to produce? Or solve yeah, ironically, it's our most luxurious trailers are the ones that are doing the best. And we're going to go up from there. And it's fascinating to me, right? I'm sorry, I don't mean to interrupt you, but that's fascinating to me because we're talking about, and Patrick, feel, weird, feel free to weigh in on this too. We're talking about the merger of two worlds here, right? Like luxury, but also off-road. Van life, but smaller, but still. There's, a, I think there's a perception from people who are outside of the van life industry or the small tra- trailer industry that luxury can't work in such a small package. Is that fair as a perception that's happening, even though that's not probably accurate? I think, are you a factory director? You have dealerships. We, we do not have any dealerships. We sell directly to our clients and come out and pick up their trailers. I think it's smart doing the higher end because a person that knows exactly what they want, they're going to, they're willing to spend the money. You don't want to be in the price competition, a feature competition of 15 other RV manufacturers that build teardrop tires, trailer. You either want to pivot if you're not, if you don't have dealership work, you either want to pivot to the ultra high end specialty buyer or really low end entry level price. And I've seen smaller businesses become successful at both avenues. The middle's tough to compete. And the middle, it's funny that you say that because in the last year, it is that middle that has been the most impacted, right? You would think that the high end would be the most impact, but it's not. It's that middle. We notice that people in that middle category are much more care in, in 2021 and people would barely ask the price of anything. But it was whatever like, they can uh, get their hands on. Yeah, it's just, I just want to buy it. Don't you? Well, yeah, I do care a little bit about the price, but now people research harder and, and they're holding their checkbook much closer to their chest. And so that middle area has been a challenge. That's what we've seen the biggest decrease in sales. So Patrick, to your point, the area that we're trying to do is uh, we're abandoning that middle for right now. We're trying to, we're trying to create a more value-oriented trailer that doesn't compromise on construction that you can still take or you can't take other trailers, but something that appeals to those who are much more price sensitive. And that, that is a big part of the market right now, at least from our small perspective as a custom trailer manufacturer. Do you feel that's... Do you feel that's the same, Eleanor, as the dealers? Like the middle is being squeezed out on her? Yeah, we've seen that this year. Mark was saying, one, everybody knows it was crazy. There wasn't enough product out there for the consumer demand. 22 was a bit softer. And this past year, we're still seeing high-end. High-end is, is still selling at the dealership level. It's the, the family models. When you've got families that have a limited discretionary income, with interest rates, obviously, that have gone up and price point for just affordability of living. So we're seeing some of the affordable models that are a little bit on the lower end are going, and then the higher end as well. 
So it's sort of very similar. And the reason right. I asked that is because I, I feel like that, and sorry, I'll, I'll just talk yeah. in one second. Uh, I feel like the, that's the same thing we're seeing on like the camping side of the business too, is that there's a, a shift towards, I'm going to stay on BLM land, or I'm going to take it off road in van life, or I'm going to stay at a state park or a potential park, or I'm going to go all the way to the high end to the glamping, to the luxury experiences, to whatever. Like certainly there are tons of people still camping in the middle, but I feel like there's from the outside looking in, not owning a campground and just talking to everybody, I feel like we're, we're seeing that same pivot. But go ahead, better. So it's smart having entry level, medium, and high because you'll have loyal customers that will only buy your products. So you got to get them in the door. So you got to have to an attractive price of entry level unit. And whether they decide to upsell themselves straight away or they buy that entry level model, if they're a loyal customer of yours, they'll be back for the higher end model. So you got to actually check out all of those boxes to scale the business. Um, but I see with the craft band builders right now, uh, they're only doing excelling right now in the really high end stuff. Uh, there's still a market for the really low price value stuff, just get people to call people in the door. But with all the RV manufacturers now that have inventory, the dealers have inventory, there's rebates, there's high discounts available. It's really hard for some of the smaller manufacturers to start it off in 2020, 2021, 2022 to, to continue scaling because now they have more competition. They had no competition because the RV manufacturers and dealers didn't have any inventory. Bean Trailers been around before all this, so they actually got their foundation built prior to everything that exploded. And, and they learn a lot from their customers, I'm sure. When they do their rallies and get-togethers, they get a lot of feedback. And that's how other RV manufacturers build and develop their products, improve their products based on what their customers say. And those loyal customers, you know, I have Airstreams that I've sold families, eight, nine, ten Airstreams over the years, because they keep coming back. And not only because they love the brand, but they love the dealership. Loyalty is very important, keeping those customers happy. Do you feel like... There is, and, and we, again, paralleling the campground industry, do you feel as people do start to be more guarded with their pocketbooks and careful about where they're purchasing and again, steering more toward luxury versus just buying whatever is available on the lot, like they were the last few years, is there a need for manufacturers to have their thing or their Airstream obviously has their thing, right? Or Bean Trailers has their thing. Is there a need for them to identify in order to compete? Like you were just talking about, is there a need for them to identify something that really sets them and their brand apart? I think it's going to be important that they have something, no matter what it is, that sets them apart. But in order to stay competitive, they're going to have something else that every other art manufacturer has at their, at their dealer showrooms. Otherwise, they're going to miss that little market right there. What are your yeah, wishes? I, yeah, Mark. I think I'm trying to remember a saying, but a bull market is sometimes mistaken for brains. And I think when a bunch of people got in based on what's clearly proving to look like a spike, which is, you know, I think for the RB industry, it's a year different. The spike for us was in 21 and uh, all the way through the summer of 22. And then it slowed down. I think it slowed down for the RV industry before that. But I think a lot of people got in uh, on an artificial, uh, 
rise associated with in the market associated with COVID. So uh, to answer your question, if they're going to survive, they're going to have to differentiate because there's a compression. I don't know if people are talking about it or not, but there is definitely a compression in the market. And the if you're going to survive a compression, you have to be able to differentiate. For sure. And that's happening everywhere, right? That's happening at campgrounds too, where you need to like, like in 2021 and 2022, everybody was just going camping. Everyone was outside. You didn't have to do any, virtually any marketing. You just had to say, Hey, I'm a campground and raise your hand. And then there's 300 people there the next day. Right. That's maybe an over exaggeration of it, but you understand, I think what I'm saying. And so I think that's the same kind of thing we're seeing here is that, that need to differentiate yourself, set yourself apart, even if it's just doing a little bit of marketing. I'm curious, Eleanor, how does this, when, when you're a dealer and we're talking about back in this open house, right? How do you adjust for what we may or may not be heading into as far as the inventory you're carrying on your lot? And I know every dealer is different, but. For sure. I think there's some really good tools out there for dealers to use. We have reports from Statistical Surveys, Inc. on new unit sales. And while they report what's been sold and then can really drill down to what's selling in your market area. But I think for dealers to be able to do a bit of analysis of what's out there, what's selling in their area, they are able to determine, do I have the right brand mix? Should there be some maybe I'm privy on this type of product and I'm seeing that the need is for that, for another type of product. So that's a great tool. Another tool that both in the U.S. and Canada, we have some surveys that are done on the consumer demographics from board being and board being Canada. And really, too, there's some new reports that analyze who the new RV consumers are going to be. So I would, when the dealers have a look at some of the marketing materials and some of the research study that is available to them, because then they can, again, take the mix that's selling in their area or in the county, in their states or province, and then determine where is my consumer going to be in, and then figure out what, what product is going to be best suited for them to load up. Yes. Go ahead, please finish. Sorry, Brett. Well, I was just saying, and then in terms of the manufacturers, the, the big ones obviously have a mix of everything yeah. and, and all cover all the bases. But for a smaller manufacturer, we are really seeing them really focusing on one particular type. But leisure travel vans in Canada, obviously, at Triple RV, focuses primarily on Class B. They use Class A's and travel trailers as well. So they've really found their marketplace and it's uh, on that and then done a really good job. Are there ways? Are there any, and this is just, maybe this is an ignorant question coming from outside the RV industry again. Are there ways for a dealer to pivot if the market were to change after they have all their inventory or are they just locked into the best educated guess they can make at the time they purchase? I know, Patrick, you're actually out of dealers. <laughs> so maybe that's something you can answer a little bit better than, than yes, I can. I mean, I, if you want to switch, go for it. We, our dealership, we always sell two brands, Winnebago and Airstream. In the Winnebago, we only sell motorhomes. And we focus just on those two brands, two solid companies that have been around forever. My feeling is that some dealers that have multiple brands and maybe pick up new brands during the 2020, 2021, just to get more inventory, might be reanalyzing some of the brands that they're carrying and start shedding brands. I, I was in the RV industry in 2008, 9, 10, when a lot of RV manufacturers actually have a business corrupt. I know what happened to a lot of dealers that 
excessive inventory of that specific manufacturer, banks would not offer loans on a orphan RV manufacturer, couldn't get extended service contracts. It was a mess. It was a real big mess. I hope that doesn't happen again, but I think dealers are really pulling back right now, really analyzing what do we carry? What do we sell? Who are our customers right now? What's the sweet And then making sure that the manufacturers that they carry are, are stable and to be there to support their customers for warranty claims down the road and keep those loyal customers coming back to that dealership. Does it hurt from, and again, maybe this is an Eleanor question to you or even a mark you can weigh in unless just because you only carry the two brands at your dealership. But is there harm that does to innovation in the industry by cutting back on and just saying, I'm only going to rely on the Airstreams or the Winnebago's or the Thor's or the, right? Is there? I, I think I've seen more happen in the last year with innovation because the supply chain opened up. Manufacturers now to figure out how to sell more products, right? So you got to come out with new stuff. I think the marketplace was a little stale for the last three years. They were just trying to keep the main. They weren't coming out with that much new stuff. What sure. can we build? What can we get? Manufacturers did pivots. If they couldn't get 3,500 series sprinter chassis, they'd build a different thing on a 2,500 or a 1,500 chassis just because that's what was available. Let's design a motor around this chassis. I think it was just to get product out in the market. But right now, manufacturers are really trying to, and they all are trying to innovate. They have to sell dealers more product. What can we come out of that's new, that's going to get the dealer excited and the customers excited again? Do we have a sense of anything that is being shown or being done that we can look forward to in 2024 that they're innovating on? I know we're seeing that at the open house now. So maybe, for, again, like Eleanor said, maybe next show, but. RF Stream participates in that, and so does Winnebago. I believe I didn't get to pop on to the RV today or yesterday, but I think Winnebago was announcing some new products. Airstream is bringing the stuff that they had brought to Hershey RV show for that, for that part of the country. This, what's new. But I'm sure some of the other manufacturers, I think Winnebago announced a new entry-level travel trailer. Ember RV just announced a new entry-level travel trailer. They went for that higher-end mark sat in the middle. Now they're trying to capture that lower price point. And it's really based on what maybe their dealers are telling them. Say, hey, we need something that could compete with Jayco, right? I think that was originally one of their companies. But anyway, so now they have a full gamut. They were only one product when it first came. They could barely make them because they parts to build these things. I think they had 100 trailers out in the yard tape over the windows because they couldn't even get windows. They couldn't ship them to dealers, but now they have a full product. So I see that manufacturer scaling pretty well. And I see what storm break. Share those sentiments, Eleanor and Mark. Yeah, I would say, and I think consumer, consumer demand, dealers hear about it and they pass it on to the manufacturer. Some of the things that there, there is innovation because they're having to deal more with, with sustainability and electric vacation and whether it be in the campground or just with you know, the different uh, power sources that are being available and the regulations that are driving some of those changes. So I think you're going to see quite a bit, quite a bit of innovation that's going to continue through the next few years. How does, I'm curious, like if a bean trailer, just picking on you because you're here, Mark, right? But if any of these smaller manufacturers, is, are there ways for them to get easily into a dealer network or be sold at dealerships or is it really a steep uphill climb 
for I mean, for the network is not necessarily. It does improve the placement of your trailer because all of a sudden you're not having to fly to Salt Lake City, which probably two thirds of the country considers flyover territory. That is a challenge, and obviously getting trailers, but there there's so many significant differences between a custom off road trailer. And what you would find in an RV lot that it, it makes it, it makes it difficult. I, I haven't seen that, that model used successfully. Yeah, please go ahead, Patrick. And I guess what, just for clarity, I was going to say, I'm not talking about the custom trailers, but just the smaller manufacturers in general who are trying to get a foot in the door. I think it's the smartest thing he did just as a factory direct Phoenix cruise around Pennsylvania has done it forever. Coach House. There aren't a lot of manufacturers out there that are factory direct that you don't have to sell and wholesale, have dealer, pay dealer to do warranty claims. Every state has different laws. How an RV manufacturer, what happens, the dealer goes out of business and buying back inventory. All it's very complex. And you're, he would be taking and selling these at a lower profit margin to satisfy these dealers, or the price would have to go up. Substantially, because now you have MSRP invoice, and then you would have obviously his cost to build it. I think he's doing better this way. And also, too, it's a destination. If you want to buy a Casita trailer, you drive out to Texas and you buy a Casita trailer, it delivered to your house. He has the same business. And he could really do some more custom stuff if a customer wants, where if it's sitting on a dealer lot, that dealer can't sell this stuff. He has to buy all that stuff back. Goes back to the country. So in different states, there are different laws for that. Let Let me give you an example. Okay, Please. so the average bean trailer, which is about a fourteen foot tra- teardrop trailer, all one piece fiberglass construction, starts at twenty six, goes all the way to seventy, and the average price is forty two. So now a bean trailer is on a, on an RV lot. And the salesman who knows nothing about the bean trailer relative to the other trailers on that lot, somebody asks him, how much is the price of that trailer? It's 42. How much is the price of that fifth wheeler? Oh, it's 42. What's the difference? That one's bigger. They're, They're just not in a position to differentiate the value proposition, the fact that if you took that, same fifth wheeler on the places we took a bean trailer, you would come back with a pallet of splinters. And so it just, it, it doesn't work for our model. You would have to do a lot of education to dealers, get the salespeople excited for it, have a program. I think what you're doing is extremely smart. It's working well for you. Do you have a yard for full of inventory? I noticed like a 14 day lead time to get one. So we have, we have inventory trailers and we have custom order. Most of our trailers are custom order. They get delivered anywhere from 90 to 120 days after the order date. But we do have a handful of inventory trailers, but those, but that is, it's a Merrick Patrick, a, a year and a half ago, we wouldn't have had a single inventory trailer. It wouldn't have been here. It would have been gone. Financing and trade-ins, or is, is it up to nope. 
So, and then my so. question would be on on the service side. So that's the one thing is that we know that when you purchase a, a unit at some point, there's going to be servicing. So, how when you're factory direct, how do you ensure that there's uh, quality servicing available to your consumer? We do it all on our own. So we we try to ship a trailer that's not going to have any service issues. We do our warranty claims are less than three percent of our of the trailers that we have. And in general, we I know this is going to sound crazy to you, but if we don't trust that there's a shop that's going to be able to mitigate the issue, we'll fly somebody out. We do it all the time. We repair it at your house. And that is the greatest motivation to not send anything out that needs to be repaired. Does this in some ways, and I just want to give you a chance to weigh in from a dealer's perspective to Eleanor and, and obviously Patrick, you can too, but does this in some way complement and work better for dealers too, given that they can specialize in certain areas and models that maybe have a broader appeal than a niche market? Does it like, does it make sense for all this to work this way for on both sides? Obviously, I'm a dealer's association. So right, I know that's why I'm giving you a like, they've been you know, we've been talking about some negatives, but I don't think they're actually you know, negatives. And I think there is products that might be similar that is sold through a dealer network. I, for me, the big thing is the servicing part. Now, if it's true and it doesn't need servicing, then great. But we do have laws in Canada about selling product and standards. And so I just want to ensure consumer safety. And as long as the consumer safety aspect is met, then it seems like Mark has uh, the business model that's working for him. Are you RBIA certified yet, Mark, for your product? Oh, heavens no. I will never be. That That is the lowest. I can't Boy, we're imagine. We're into work. some dangerous waters here. All right, go ahead. Yeah, yeah. maybe the the politically correct thing to say is that. We're not politically correct here. Feel the yeah, same. That, like, that, we have people that, who that, will that is of no, you. That is of no interest to us because that is such a low standard. We are okay because I I don't know anything about the RVIA standard, right? But I want you to explain why you believe it's a low standard instead of just saying it. Because our because in general RV quality is an oxymoron. The reason we started being was because of I I, I couldn't think of any other industry that can get away with such schlocky, poor craftsmanship. I mean, and if you built anything else in, in, in the world to that, to, to, to what most RVs are built, you would, you would immediately get sued. If, if, if you hired a contractor in New Jersey and said, Hey, and the guy said, good news, man, I built your house to RV standards. You'd Patrick, you'd immediately hire a lawyer to, to litigate. So yeah, we, I think we owe a lot of our success. Do not taking the lead in how RVs do it. So we do have the certifier. It's BMW out of the Northwest, but it's but the Riva standard is something we'd never be we, we wouldn't we would not be proud of that. Is I, I don't know how else to put it. But I just wanna I want to make sure that we're giving a chance to balance this from a yeah. a dealer side, right? So Patrick or Eleanor, if I don't know anything oh, yeah. about it. It's, there's a standard, just like when you're building a house, it's building. I'm so, familiar generally with the standard, right? But yeah. just. It doesn't mean that the manufacturer has to do the bare minimum. Mm. Some do, but it has to have a fire extinguisher a certain size with a certain proximity 
appliances inside have to be UL listed. There's a whole long list of things that they have to do. And it just gives the customer peace of mind that at least it was built the bare minimum of the standards of the industry, hopefully better. But, but keeping at least, right? Again, yeah. keeping at least. It doesn't and, and every RV sale, like that. Your cell would be on it. We build up way up and above the RV standard. Here's their guideline. We got the seal, the trailer. That means you trade it in down the road. It's an NAG our list. You can get RV insurance on it, Lemon Law, whatever comes with that. But it's definitely something, even though you don't agree with the way the RVs are made and your product is believed to be better. It's something to think about down the road to protect your customers when they go to purchase, gives them a little bit more peace of mind. And if they have a total loss, they have a value based on JD Power, that's RBI manufacturer, and they won't have any problems traded into a deal. Well, so bank? this is what I wanted to get to, right? Because obviously it's okay for us to have and hear both perspectives of each side of the story, but very clearly there's a lot of respect for the bare minimum RVIA standard, whatever that may be, because it's setting that ground floor and it's very important to do that, I think. And every year they up the it which is yeah. good. Yeah. manufacturers on their feet. Right. Yeah. The standards are, are there. It's actually the NFPA 1192, which is the National Fire Protection Association that puts it together. And it is a safety standard. And to know that way, the CSA is at 240, which is the major standard association. And ultimately, our safety standards. <clears throat> I know in Canada, we have probably that. So if it is an RV, it has to be certified to that by a, an accredited third-party inspection agency. So it's very stringent. So it's, again, you can build above a rock, realizing the minimum safety requirements as deemed you know, safe by the inspection agency. And I, and I think to be fair, like, again, like it's okay to criticize. It's okay to, break. again, I think we're a base standard here, but I think it's more important to say that from RVI standpoint, and again, I'm limited in the RV industry side of things, but when you look at the campground side of things and even talk about, we had a show, I think a year ago about RVIC, National RVIC, a year and a half ago, trying to come out with standards for campgrounds. I think there's, it almost has to be a base set of standards, doesn't it? Because if you get too high, there you're going to alienate a bunch of people who don't want to participate in your standard. But I think that's really, well, let, 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 me, let me clear, let me clarify. Yeah, please. Um, yeah, I, I, I'm. I'm not saying mm -hmm. that it's not a good idea to have a third party certification for all the reasons that you guys have enumerated. For sure, I just don't believe that's the. I, I don't. It's not the right direction for you. It's not the right direction for us. Yeah, which is perfectly fine. Yeah, we just yeah. want to make sure that we're yeah. balancing. With, that is, it's a you. It's not just a you thing, but it is what works for you. Yeah. There's, you know, the thing that people don't talk about is there's a lot of political, there's a lot of politics and toll bridge fees that are bundled into your RVIA membership. That it's just, it's not, it, it's not, it, it is a, there, yeah. Sometimes those fees are really worth it for the RVDA. They go to bat for you with Congress. Different laws are about to change with the RV industry, especially when it comes to RV financing, RV insurance. They go to bat for you. Uh, yeah, it is. It is expensive. It's it's a cost of being a dealer or a manufacturer. 
but you got to understand that eventually someone's going to be there on your side. If for some reasons Congress decides to make something illegal or take something away that they had before. I think there was just an RV business recently that RVDA was going to back something with Congress in regards to campground usage or something in, in that effect, maybe with Harvest Host. I don't, yeah, I don't remember, Eleanor. Do you remember anything about that? No, you'd have to ask Phil to see what, but yeah, RVDA, RVD of Canada, like ourselves, adds a lot of one of our strategic goals as associations is advocacy. Lobby, key, lobby. And, yeah, and that's what the association brings. And RVIA in the U.S., yes, they are a very strong voice at the table when it comes to sure. you look at the Great American Outdoors Act that that was passed in the states and that that was spearheaded by the associations and obviously the associations need funding and that comes from the manufacturers as a member of the association yeah. so I'll kind of tie ties it together well, that's what I wanted to do is just make sure that we told because obviously there's strong opinions on both sides in some cases depending on who you're talking to and I don't think it's kind of like the harvest hosts versus the private campground owners if they don't get together and talk they don't realize that they're both kind of benefiting each other and maybe they're not a good fit like not everybody's a good fit in this bucket or this bucket but there's a common ground in the middle that everybody's working towards and that's getting more people outside and camping and in safe rigs and whether that's your standards or RVIA standards or whatever there's good things being done from all sides I feel and so I just want to make sure we kind of balance that it's very easy to, to not and to just yeah, take one time there's a lot of times at the dealership, people, I'll put, just put camper vans. They had someone build them a van. It's beautiful. It's gorgeous. But there's no way to treat it. It's not an RV. It's not recognized as an RV. There's no book value. So it's just a converted van at this point. And then that, that person that owns that is stuck to sell it on their own. And then when they go to sell it, person there that wants to buy it, they go to their bank to try to get a loan it's not an RV. They're going to have the same problem when they go insurance. That's why a lot of these RV and builders are becoming RVI certified because they want to scale their business. And they heard all these pain points from their previous customers. That bought. So they're trying to do the right thing in that respect. And there's a lot of stuff that they did learn. The RV, it's a big book comes with it. And they actually come out and they suspect your shop eight times during the year. To make sure that you're building to their standards and there's good learning experience if that even if they decided not to come out just to know what what's expected makes sense okay all right we got five minutes left that was our big unintended controversial dive into the show for maybe the rest of the year hopefully uh but we'll find out um so what else do we have that we want to any closing thoughts guys on i mean we killed an hour pretty fast there but like yeah, so I'm, I'm into van life. I don't live on a van. I live in a house, but I have a really cool Airstream camper van. And everybody's controversy is like, when did van life start? When was the day it started? I could tell you people have been camping in vans since the 60s and 70s, but it was no, a different need approach. a date, Patrick. I need an exact date. I'm going to hold it you is, to it right now. It is January 2002. That's when Mercedes-Benz brought the Sprinter into was the first van that you could buy off a dealer's lot that you could stand up in. Okay. Before that, if you wanted a van, you could buy a van and have someone put a high top or pop. That was a game changer. Well, we're in the RV business. 
like our first year when the Sprinter came out, phone would not ring enough. Airstream didn't even make Class B vans over that period of time. They were just getting back into it. They stopped in 2000. Winnebago didn't make camper vans. They stopped after they built the Rialto in that same time period. And everybody said, when is Airstream? When is Winnebago going to build something with Sprinter? And then we'd have a group of people that would come in just when the Airstream Interstate first came out, 2004 model year, to just to see it so they could take measurements because they want to build their own. And we're like, are you nuts? Why would you want to build your own van? We have these vans here. No, I want it my way. Then we actually see people that would full-time live in these vans because you could stand in it. You could have a full bed. You could have a shower, bathroom, toilet, whatever you needed inside. So that was like when it first really, it clicked in people's head. People had an aha moment because buy a van and convert it and not have to crawl around and duck around inside. And then as internet became more and more available anywhere, people said, wow, I could actually take this van and still have some sort of work life or connection with my friends and family while I'm out in the road. And that internet got better and jobs started offering remote this is before COVID, you could work remote. So people said, why can't we just build a van or buy an RV and travel the country and still check in and go to a campground and earn a paycheck? And then COVID happened and people said, now I definitely don't have to go to work. I have to work remote. Starlink is now available. So now you could be out in the middle of nowhere, boondocking, overlanding, and still get a signal and still earn a paycheck. It really scaled. Well, when I first started selling Airstream vans, the statistical surveys at that point, I think between Road Track, Pleasure Way, Airstream, Leisure Travel was building vans back then, Great West Van. There was only, I would say, less than 10 manufacturers of building camper vans. Altogether, the, the shipment totals were 600 vans. Yeah. And then the next year was 800, and then 1,100, and 1,200, and a decline in 2008, 9, 10. And then Winnebago got into the Class B mark, started with the era, and really scaled it from there. And, and now there's probably a 50 to 60 major RV manufacturers that are built. Maybe there's more. There's probably more that are building these camper vans, and it really scaled. Now you see the shipments on statistical surveys. It's in the tens of thousands of Class B vans that are being sold and shipped each year. It's unbelievable. And they're mobile. It's freedom. I know you're in, in the campground world. So many people that buy vans buy them so they don't have to go to a campground. So they have the freedom. They can be able to go and camp wherever they can. I still go to campgrounds, use my Airstream camper van. I don't have to if I didn't want. It does give me that freedom. Whereas if I had my Airstream travel trailer, I, I really am reliant on going to a campground and plug in and let it set up for the day. That would be amazing. I could go out in my truck and do my adventures and have a place to go back to. So what we really I, need is like a, some kind of a hybrid Tesla summon feature, right? So you can go hike in the boondock wilderness, do all your nature things, and then just send the trailer to the campground to power up its EV and then drive back and pick you up when you're done, right? Yeah, Airstream wonder- came out of the prototype. We get calls on it all the time. It's nowhere near even being complete. It's called the E-Stream. It's a trailer that actually self-drives. It has to be towed by something, but it actually propels itself. So it doesn't lower the fuel company, the electric vehicle that's pulling it. 
and it's 100% runs off grid off lithium is unbelievable. And they had it at the Tampa RV show January 20, maybe yeah, January 2022. And they were just driving this thing around remote control. It was pre- pretty fascinating. So I can see that's the direction RV industry may eventually go. They're, they're a long way away from developing this product because now you have something that actually drives. So there's National Transportation Highway Association. There's lots of laws and, and things that they yeah. have to get approved in order for this to, to work. Ideas out there. All right. We'll have to dive into that on a future show sometime because I'm a big geek and I'd love to talk about all that kind of stuff. But I really appreciate you guys being here. Eleanor, any final thoughts before we wrap up? We're a couple minutes over. Thank you very much for the opportunity. It's, it's always a pleasure. It was nice meeting you, Patrick. And maybe we'll see you at the RBDA convention sometime. Patrick, Absolutely. Logan, Patrick Gorkin, they can find you on YouTube. So it's New Jersey Outdoor Adventures YouTube. Right, you Fossil do go outside of now. New Jersey? What's that? You do go outside of New Jersey occasionally? I do. But I'm my whole base is in New Jersey. I love New Jersey. You can do everything in New Jersey. You can drive an hour in any direction. You're either in Philadelphia, Atlantic City, New York City, Catskills, you can get to pretty quickly. Jim Thorpe, Pennsylvania. So you could be in the city, in the country, on the shore of the Jersey Shore. Beaches. Unbelievable. Awesome. Eleanor Ham from RVD of Canada. Appreciate you being here as always. And Mark as well. Mark's here. He just popped back in. So hi, Mark. We got to go. But thank you so much for uh, joining us. And it's uh, beantrailer.com. I'm just going to speak for Mark. Beautiful product. I, I, I love what you guys are doing. I admire. Awesome. Appreciate you guys. Thanks again to our sponsor, Excess Parks. We'll see you next week. We'll be live from the Glamping Show in Denver, Colorado. Take care, guys. Appreciate you. See ya. Thanks for joining us for this episode of MC Fireside Chats with your host, Brian Searle. Have a suggestion for a show idea? Want your campground or company in a future episode? Email us at hello at moderncampground.com. Get your daily dose of news from moderncampground.com. And be sure to join us next week for more insights into the fascinating world of outdoor hospitality. I know. I think. I think.